Good evening. Thank you for joining. I was in the dark today trying to think of what I'm going to speak about tonight. And I know it's such a crucial time and people are waiting to hear something exciting and meaningful, especially for this year. Um, and I had a cer certain subject that I wanted to research, but I was going blank. I couldn't find anything. And thank the Abish there literally about um, <coughs> 45 minutes ago, there was such a such an incredible explosion of light and of insight. And I found something that I, that, I, that, I was, that I was amongst everywhere I was looking. I couldn't find it, and then I found it, and I just said, this is it. So I'm very excited about tonight's share. Uh, anybody that wants to sponsor it, I didn't have a chance uh, you know, to even look for a sponsor. I haven't done that. And <laughs> thank God the Abishta helps that Yidden are so kind and so good, so sponsorships are coming without me looking for them. So if anybody wants to sponsor this class, post the shir, anybody that's sick, anybody all those people that are sick, anybody for any other reason, yard site, whatever it is, birthday, and uh, or just to do a mitzvah, you can let me know through the various different ways to reach our center. Thank you so much. Now, um, today, it's uh, Erev Pesach, 5780, And this year, we all have an extra manashtana. We're all asking the question, manashtana Pesach hazeh mikola Pesachs. Manashtana halayla hazeh. Why is this Pesach so different? The Pesach is going to be very different. I hope and I pray that it's going to be different because we're going to sing and dance in Yerushalayim like we've never sang and we never danced and we never celebrated ever, ever, ever. That's what I hope is going to happen. And I know it's going to happen. Without a shadow of a doubt that we are now going full throttle towards the redemption. There is not even a question of a question of a question that we are now moving full speed ahead towards the redemption. Um, whether that's going to fully manifest before Pesach in two days, and we're going to have the third temple, we'll be able to bring the Besam and bring the carbon Pesach. I wish, I hope, and I pray. Um, if we're still going to have the Pesach Seders at our homes, or at least we'll start the Pesach Seder at our home this year, uh, it's also going to be different. <coughs> the reason it's going to be different is because we are in quarantine, we are in isolation. I would say generally for most people, the Seder is going to be much, much smaller. Everybody in, in the large communities like here in LA, in New York, and I think in most places, and in Eretz Yisrael, in Israel, everywhere, and in England, and I don't know, wherever the Jewish communities, everybody's being told, stay put, don't go anywhere. And that means even children, do not, do not go to your parents. Uh, especially if they're elderly parents. Stay put where you are. Make your own Seder. But I never made a Seder. I can't make a Seder. I don't know what to do. But that's the reality. Everybody's told you got to do it yourself. And people that are usually invited as guests to various, to go to different places or people that go to hotels, all hotels were canceled. Everybody, you got to do it yourself. Do it yourself so much so that even if you're a single person and you're sitting in your house yourself, do it yourself. Um, and that can be sad, and it can be uh, something that's pretty heavy, and a person can look at it with great loneliness. And I want to lighten everybody's spirit 
and say that we are going to have the most phenomenal, 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 craziest, phenomenal Pesach ever. Yes, in the separation. Yes, in the isolation. Hopefully we'll be together again in Yerushalayim, already in that great joy. So, but the depth of if we're still here and the meaning of having Pesach spread out and Dafka not communal Pesachs, all the Chabad houses that have these giant community um, um, seders had to cancel them. At the best, they're delivering matzah and wine and an instruction manual of how to do it yourself. So what is the significance of this doing it yourself? Till 45 minutes ago, I was in the dark, and 45 minutes ago, the Lubavitcher Rebbe enlightened me. I learned something. I opened up, I found a, a teaching in his teachings that I think is, even though he's not addressing the future, he's talking about the past, but I think it's prophetic. Basically, we, take, we go back to the very beginning. The first Karban Pesach, when the Jewish people were still in Egypt, and we offered our first Karban Pesach. At that time, we were told, No one is allowed to leave the door, the entrance of their house, Ad, ad Boker, until the morning. People were not allowed to go visit anybody else. There was no going to my cousin, going to my aunt, going to my mother-in-law. Everybody stayed put in their own home, in their own apartment. You weren't allowed to leave all night long. There was a, a lockdown. There was a curfew. No one was allowed to go out of their homes. Um, so here we are again. We've come full circle. We're celebrating Pesach. Yes, we don't have yet the Paschal Lamb, the carbon Pesach, but yet <coughs> we are told, do it in your house. You may not leave your home. So much so that Netanyahu in Israel, the government in Eretz Yisrael, made a specific lockdown. It's going to start Erev Pesach, which is Wednesday afternoon, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's going to continue until Friday morning. That's In Israel, it's no more Pesach because they only have one day. It's still Passover, but in the intermediate days, it's not the Yom Tiv, the holiday itself. Until then, curfew. Everybody stays put. I guess one can get into big trouble if they catch people outside because they do not want anybody mingling and people getting together. And as they say, Purim, when people were together, it brought about devastating results. There was a lot of contamination going on. Now, everybody stay put. So to hear those words... Don't go out from the door of your home. Obviously sends chills down our spine. When else did we hear that decree? Do not leave your home, stay in your house. That was only the first carbon Pesach. The night that Vashem Hika the night when God killed all the firstborn of Egypt, the night that God broke the exile and redeemed the Jewish people for an everlasting redemption. We know Pesach Mitzrayim and Pesach La'osid, the Pesach of the past, the Pesach of the future. God saved Hu Alai Lahazed that God was waiting for. He saved Avram Avinu on this night. That was the night that Avram fought against the four kings. He took the Jewish people out of Egypt on that night. 
and we are waiting for the ultimate kibbutz Goliath, for the gathering of the exiles. In the year 5780, we are waiting with breathless anticipation for Wednesday night at midnight, or what is gonna happen. I wouldn't suggest you to, I know you're with your family, to finish your Seder too early. Stay around, hang around a little bit, wait it out. Who knows what's gonna happen? To me, the similarity is so striking. Now to add, okay, I think so, I'm feeling so, these are my personal hergation. Obviously, I'm not a Navi, so I can't tell anything with perfect precision, but this is, I'm sharing with you my thoughts, my feelings, which I think are based on Torah and what is real. But in this particular case, this has, and I'm sure many of you have seen this, this has been floating around from the beginning when the quarantines happened. Purim time, when they started telling people you may not gather, everybody stay home. When we started canceling the minyonim and everybody was told to stay home, um, somebody found, Baruch Hashem, there are lots of Jews and there are lots of Jewish people studying Torah all across the world. And, and people study all different parts of the Torah, right? Someone loves Midrash, the other one loves Zohar, the other one loves mysticism, the other one loves Shulchan Aruch, and the other one loves Talmud. And so we got it all covered. So whenever something happens, someone is going to pull something out of somewhere. So this was really, really cool. I, I received it, and then it was spreading all over. And that is a teaching of the Baal HaTurim. The Baal HaTurim says, <coughs> in Parshas Bo, um, Baal HaTurim is a common by one of what we call the Rishonim. The early scholars uh, lived probably about a thousand years ago, maybe eight, nine hundred years ago. Anyways, um, on the Pasuk, this is, not, this is not on the Pasuk where it says, I was looking for it all day today, and I was looking in the wrong place, so therefore I'm going to clarify this. I was looking for this on the Pasuk, Va'atem loiseitsu ish mi Pesach beisai. You, where it says explicitly that Hashem, Moshe Rabbeinu is instructing the Jewish people, and this is in chapter 12, in, in, in Shmois, Perek Yud Beis, Pasuk Chav Beis, verse 22. It says, No one should go out from your homes until the morning. So I was searching for it over here. It's not over here. It's earlier, also in chapter 12, in Perek Yud Beis, but Pasuk Ches. It says, Umatzois al on, with matzois and moror, you should eat the carbon Pesach with matzah and moror, yocheluhu, you should eat it. It should be eaten. So the Balaturim says like this, yocheluhu, dalet pamim. The word yocheluhu is to be found <coughs> four times in scripture. That means in all of Tanakh, we find four times the word yocheluhu. Beis binyane Pesach. Twice, the, this exact word, yocheluhu. So it's found twice in, by Karban Pesach, one in Parshas Bo, over here, in Exodus, in Parshas Bo, and the other one in Bamidbar, Tes Yud Aleph, Perik Tes Yud Aleph, it also says regarding the Karban Pesach, Yoichaluhu, you should eat it. The Idach, and then there is another one, Aaron Ubanav, Yoichaluhu, that Aaron and his sons should eat it. That's referring to something that took place when they inaugurated the Mishkan when they were inaugurating the Mishkan during the seven days of inauguration, which began on the 23rd day of Chodesh Ador and concluded on, on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which was already the eighth day, which was yesterday, the first day of 
no, was, was actually, uh, last week was the first day of Chodesh Nisan, but we read it yesterday in Chumash, Parsha Shmini, Vahiba Yoyim Shmini, right? It was the eighth day. So that's the eighth day after the seven days. So the year it says regarding the um, offerings that were done during those seven days of practice, that they put up the Mishkan and they disassembled it, it says, Aaron Ubanov, Aaron and his sons, Yochaluhu, should eat the, the karbat. So again, it says, Yochaluhu, Binyana de Miluhim, and that, uh, and then it, so, the, so he says like this, just, and now, those are the three places. But then there is a fourth place. The fourth place is in Yeshaya, Perek Samach Beis, Isaiah 62. So over there, it says, okay, so the only other time in all of Nach, all of Navi and Ksuvim, all of the, all the, all the prophets and the writings, the only one time it says the exact word, Yochaluhu, it should be eaten. Where is that? It's talking about Hashem speaking about the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the Beis Hamikdash. It says, "Nishba Hashem biyaminoi." Hashem swore with His right hand, pasuk ches, ubezroya uzoi, and with His mighty arm, im etein es tigone oid machol oivayich. If I will give your grains to be. I swear this will never happen again. There will never be plunder. They will never take away what's yours. You will never be robbed again. You will never be taken, taken advantage anymore of. If I will give your grains ever again to your enemies. Or if strangers will come and drink your wine. That you have toiled in. You've toiled. Because we know in the curse it says that you will toil, you will plant, you will work, and then your enemies will come and they'll rob you and they'll take it all away. And it says, no, those who gather it, Yoichaluhu will eat it. And they will praise God. That means those that will gather it into their homes, they will get to eat it. So it says, Yoichaluhu. So again, it's talking about a prophetic, a prophecy regarding Moshiach's days, the Messianic era, where it says clearly that what? That we will eat. But it says, use the word, Yoichaluhu, we will eat it. So the Balaturim points out four times Yochaluhu. And he says like this, Just like when Aaron, the high priest, and his sons were told to eat from the korban, from the special sacrifice, it says, do not go out from the entrance of your house. I'm sorry, they were told not to go out of the holy mishkan. The mishkan, which is a place of holiness. They were told they may not leave that place. Hachinami, over here as well, the Atam Loiseitsu Ishmi Pesach Beisoi, do not go out from your home. So we're drawing a comparison. In both times it says, Yochalu, you're eating it. Aaron and his sons were supposed to live in the Holy Temple for seven days. They weren't allowed to leave. So too, the night that you're eating the Karban Pesach, back in Egypt, no one is allowed to leave their home. And then he brings Ve'idach and the last one, Kima'asvav Yochaluhu, referring to the eating which is going to happen when Mashiach will come. And he says these words, The itkish gula achreina legula rishaina. The final redemption is compared to the first redemption. Just like the first redemption, you weren't allowed to leave your home, so to the latter redemption, you were not allowed to leave your home. So this was getting already exciting when we were telling everybody, don't leave your home. Now, over there in the Pasuk in Yeshaya, it's not talking particularly about eating 
the Seder. It's not talking about the Karban Pesach. It's talking in general, Kima Asvav, all the grains, all the, all the produce that we will bring in, you have to, you will eat it. But obviously it doesn't mean that we're going to be locked away in our homes forever and ever for all the time that we're eating. Obviously there is some kind of a connection to the period of, being, of, of quarantine that related to the end of days where we're eating and we're eating in, and we have to stay on our own table. So let's understand if this is for real. I mean, obviously the Balaturim says so, but let's understand if this applies to our situation, like has been said. In other words, this excitement that people have been sending around this teaching from the Balaturim, let's try to break it open and see the inner pneumius of what this means. And again, this I didn't see from anybody. This is just a direct outcome from what I would like to share from you from the f fundamental teaching that the Lubavitcher Rebbe teaches, and I want to apply it to this because I think it's very obvious. And also, what's the connection of what it has to do with Aaron and his sons that were told, you may not go out of the Beis Amigdash. You stay right put in the Beis Amigdash for during those seven days. So we try to bring this all together. Um, let's understand, let's take a look at a, a statement in the Taisefta. Okay, Taisefta in Mesechtes Psachim. Tractate Psachim, which deals with Pesach, and most of it with the mitzvah of the Korban Pesach, which we hopefully are going to merit to, to Shecht again. By the way, I have no chas v'sholem in any way a preference that this should be fulfilled, whatever I'm speaking about. I hope and I pray that this is not fulfilled, that we don't eat our Pesachs in our own homes individually. Just the mere thought that we have to deal with the <coughs> idea that we might have to do that, we should have fulfilled already the idea that which, which I'm discussing tonight, so that we've done that already just in thought, and now we can already go to the Beis Amigdash and have that communal experience, greater, greater experience of community than we've ever had before. But in any case, um, in, in um, Teisefta, what's Teisefta? Let me explain. There is Mishnah. Mishnah is the, coming to, the, the writing down of all the law, of the Torah law, right? That was written by Rabbeinu HaKadosh, which was Ma'asif Torah Shabal Peh, in a way that we, can, that we have all the, the, the first time Torah was written was in the Mishnah. What is Teisefta? Teisefta is Brisa. Brisa means certain teachings that were written down by the rabbis, but they, for whatever reason, didn't make it into the Mishnah. They remain outside. And usually it's a little bit more of an elaborate form of the Mishnah. And many things that are omitted in the Mishnah are stated in the Teisefta, in the Brisa. So here's a Teisefta in Mesechtis Psachim, Perek Ches, <coughs> Brisa or Mishnah Zayim. The Mishnah is enumerating, now there is a Mishnah like this as well in Mesechtis Psachim in the Mishnah itself. There is a Mishnah similar, but the Mishnah is Bekitzer, which means the Mishnah is very, very concise. And in Teisefta there's more of an elaboration. What is it discussing? It's discussing what are the differences between the first Karban Pesach and the future Karban, and all the other Karban. We know the mitzvah of Karban Pesach. I'm going to say it just in English one time, so I don't have to repeat it every time to annoy people. The Karban Pesach means Paschal Lamb. Okay, we got that done. We're never going to use Paschal Lamb again. We're going to use Karban Pesach. Okay, so Karban Pesach was offered um, in the first time in Egypt, in Mitzrayim. That was like the main event, preparation for the great miracle 
for the for the for the plague of the firstborn for Makas Bachores, and then afterwards drew, we had a mitzvah to to uh, that, <coughs> to do the this uh, carbon Pesach every single year in Yerushalayim, in the, right when we when we when we had the Beis Hamikdash we had, and that's what Jews were always hoping for we're waiting to be able to eat the carbon Pesach again to do this special offering so the Mishnah is discussing what are all the differences between the first carbon Pesach and the latter ones so it says like this. It says a whole bunch of differences. I'm not going to go through them. But it says, one of the things it says, um, first of all, it says, uh, Pesach Mitzrayim Nem Arboi. Pesach Mitzrayim, it says, Va'atam loiseitu ishmi Pesach Beisai Ad Boiker. No one is allowed to leave until the morning. You have to stay in your home. Ma'ashe enke me Pesach Doires. In the future Pesachs, you don't have to stay, right? You... Go to the, you, no one has to be locked into their homes. You go wherever you want. Uh, but then it says like this. Pesach Mitzrayim, <coughs> the Egyptian carbon Pesach. Kol echod ve'echod shoychet betoich Pesach. Everybody would slaughter the carbon Pesach, was commanded to do the offering, do the shechting of it. When we're in their house, everybody did a private carbon in their front yard or inside their house. Pesach Doirois, the future Pesach, that means for all generations, Kol Yisrael Shoichtim B'makem Echod. All the Jewish people have to offer it in one singular place. That means we all do it, we are in central, the central station, the place where the Shechina is, the Pesach Migdash. We all come and that's where in the Azara, in the courtyard of the Pesach Migdash, that's when we all offer our carbon Pesachs. So here there is, Everybody does it in their own home, and here it's in one place. Now simply, um, the way the many Mepharshim explained this b'raisa, the Arzarua and others, <coughs> they say that this is mostly what is being discussed over here. All the differences are stringencies that were certain, that apply only to the generational carbon Pesach, the one that was done later, and certain leniencies that were done in the first carbon Pesach. The first carbon Pesach is more lenient. We're not so strict. You don't have to come to the base Amigdash to one place. Everybody's permitted to do it in their own house, which is a big leniency. A carbon, usually the law of a carbon, of a sacrifice, is that a sacrifice must be brought. You can't just bring a sacrifice in your backyard, you can't just do it anywhere. A sacrifice can only be, why haven't we been doing sacrifices for the last 2,000 years? Because we're not allowed to do so. We're only allowed to do it in the Beis HaMikdash. <coughs> so it's saying that even though later we're only allowed to do the carbon Pesach in the Beis HaMikdash, but um, the, over here, um, by, um, by Pesach, by Mitzrayim, everybody was permitted to do it in their own house. Which, by the way, comes to say as follows. It's not only the time when the Beis HaMikdash was standing. This is an important idea that I need everybody to keep it, bear in mind for the entire duration of the class. That this idea that we have a central Beis HaMikdash, a, a temple, where all sacrifices must be offered only in the temple, exclusively, only there and nowhere else, it wasn't exactly the case the entire time after we left Egypt. Notice, even after the Torah was given, there were certain periods of time when people were allowed to offer in what was called a private mizbeach, a bamas yochid. 
Bamasyachit means a private altar. That, that a person can make basically a backyard altar. Anybody. You can put Mizbeach wherever you want and you can, you can bring karbanas. It was permissible. When was it permissible? During the time <coughs> when um, the Jews came into Eretz Yisrael. And first of all, it was permissible before the Torah was given. That's number one. But even after the Torah was given, um, during the time of the Midbar, I think it was not permitted. When they had, they were close by to the Mishkan. They each had the Mishkan's Mizbeach was there. This was the tabernacle. So then it was not permitted. But once they came into the land of Israel and the 14 years of conquest and then, and then, and that it became Bamas During that time, anybody can offer sacrifices to Hashem from their own backyard. Then it was... Uh, I think prohibited again once they set up a more stable Mishkan. And, but then in between, at certain points when one Mishkan was destroyed and they didn't build yet the next one, on the, it was permitted again. So there were certain points where it was permitted, what we call a bama siyach, an individual bama. But, but here's an important thing. Even though you can have your own private Mizbeach called a bama siyach, for Karban Pesach, this is what, we're, this is what the Tosefta is saying, for Karban Pesach, for the special Karban that is that this special lamb that's being offered, this has to always be done only <coughs> in a public altar. It couldn't, whether it was the Mishkan or the Beis Amikdash, you cannot offer this in your private domain. So that's why it's saying over here, it's coming to give you a leniency that in Mitzrayim there was no public altar. Everybody did it in their own house. That's one way of seeing it. But really the Rebbe says that if you look de deeply, you see that it's not just a leniency, it's not just a leniency, but it's also a chumrah. A chumrah means a stringency. And I want to give you all a, a, a little introduction to today's class in the fact that I am going to go through some halachic ideas. It's okay. It's okay to study Torah and halacha. I know everybody always likes to enjoy the mysticism and so on and so forth and, the, and all the cool stuff. This is also very cool. It's, we're going to follow through some technical details in halacha. But I tell you one thing, the, 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 the completion, the idea that's going to come out of it in the end is mind-blowing. So, so bear with me, even, when, even though we're a little technical. So the, the, um, there's also a stringency. What's the stringency? The stringency is that you have to shecht it in, the, in your house. In other words, over here, you came to the base of Mingdash, you did it over there. But over here, it wasn't just, okay, you can do whatever you want. If you want to do it in your house, you do it in your house. No, there is a, there, there is a obligation. You must take your lamb and shecht it in your own private apartment, wherever you live, your apartment, in your house. You must shecht, um, slaughter the, the, the carbon Pesach in your living space, where you are. Again, it doesn't have to be inside. It can be in front of it also. But at that place is where you have to do your carbon Pesach. It must be done in your home. Why? And the Pasek actually says, because you have to take the blood, and they had to put the blood in Mitzrayim, in the Beis Amigdash, the blood was sprinkled on the altar, on the Mizbeach. But in everybody's private carbon Pesach in Mitzrayim, they had to put the blood, Moshe instructed them, they take a bundle of um, type of grass, hyssop grass, azov, I think it was three, three pieces, bundle it and tie it together. And they had to dip it and put it on the lintel, that's the top part of the doorpost, and on the two side, side door, uh, posts of the door. They had to put the blood. 
So that very house where you're staying and where you're going to eat the carbon Pesach, and, they, and more than that, we'll see soon, you weren't allowed to go out of that house. On that very home, that's where they were obligated to offer their carbon Pesach in their home. Now what happens if a person cannot finish a whole lamb? If it's a single person living alone and they can't eat a whole lamb and you're not allowed to leave from a carbon, you're not supposed to have any leftovers. You're supposed to eat everything and they only had a short time to eat it. So under extreme circumstances, people who could not do it themselves or very small families, we're allowed to team up with who? Only with, the very, with your shechenoi, only with your neighbor. In other words, this whole idea is similar to today of quarantining and staying together only with members of your household. You see that in Mitzrayim. When they did the carbon Pesach, they needed to stay literally. You can't do it yourself, go to your neighbor. You can't go to your cousin's house three blocks away. It must be your neighbor. And if that means technically that they were supposed to spend the night in their neighbor's apartment because only their neighbor was the one who had the blood on the lintel on, on the two doorposts. Could be. I'm not exactly sure on that. It's very possible because they needed the protection. The homes, the blood protected them. But again, I'm not saying that as a fact. But the idea is, other than that exception that you couldn't finish the carbon Pesach yourself, you had to do it alone. Each home had to do it themselves. Which comes out from this a very interesting thing. Um, it means that across Egypt, let's think about it, across Egypt, carbonites were being shechted everywhere. In every neighborhood, on every block, wherever there was a Jew living, and it could be also in a really... Egyptian neighborhoods, in affluent neighborhoods, in the slums. I don't know if Jews lived in the slums. They lived in the land of Goshen that was considered better. But wherever you went, everywhere, everywhere, there was a Korban Pesach, which is a great novelty. Why is it a great novelty? Because even in the time when it was permitted to have individual, individual altars, individual mizbeachs, we can appreciate and understand that people did not make, as I mentioned earlier, backyard mizbeachs. Because everybody appreciates that a korban is a place that you're offering and connecting to God. You're offering a special animal and that's going to be to satisfaction. A korban is related to hashra the dwelling of the shechina. The shechina doesn't just dwell anywhere. You have to have a place that is more refined, a place that's more elevated, a place that is worthy for the Shekhinah to go there. Similar to what the Rambam says, Maimonides explains, why the Mizbeach was chosen on Har HaMariah, the Mount Moriah, where we have uh, the Temple Mount, which hopefully very soon will be rebuilt. Why that place? So the Rambam says it has a whole history. That's the place that when the world was still in its pristine purity, Adam Arishon was the one who offered the first carbon, and he offered it on that place. And then Cain um, and Evel were the ones who brought their carbon on that place. And then Noah, when he was, when he, after he wanted to thank God, he speared him during the flood, offered the carbon on that place. And then Avram Avinu brought Yitzchak for the Akedah on that place. The place is like the place, the holiest place, the most elevated place. That's, that's where there was the Mizbeach. So we understand that even when people made individual Mizbeachs, 
We don't find that people would make it in every, you know, wherever, wherever you want, you go and you make a mezbeach. It doesn't work that way. It was on a, on a, in a special place is where you made Obama. Here, there was a, an obligation that it didn't make a difference, you know, how holy your house was. It didn't make a difference the degree of religiosity. It wasn't the shul. It was, it was every house, every single place where Jew, a Jew lived, your apartment. And again, even if it was in a very Egyptian neighborhood, like it seems like the word Jews were living amongst Egyptians or Egyptians living amongst Jews, no matter where it was, didn't make a difference. That place, you needed to shech the carbon Pesach in that place. Okay. But now, let's take it a step deeper. When we say that everybody shechted the carbon Pesach in their homes, is that just out of necessity, out of a technical, a technical situation over here? Because they need to sprinkle the blood for protection. So for that reason, that's the reason why uh, um, you know, you have to shecht it in your house because there should be blood on every house so there could be protection for all the Jews. Or is there something deeper over here? So let's take a look a little again into this, this very Tesefta. I mean, I brought you the Bryson. In the Bryson, it says another difference between the, the regular carbon Pesach and the Pesach and the Pesach Mitzrayim. The Pesach. The first Pesach and the later Pesachs. So the Tesefta says like this. Hear these words. I mentioned it earlier. In the Pesach Mitzrayim, it says that what? Atem loiseitzu ishme Pesach Besa. That no one's allowed to leave. Okay, earlier we said that you shechted in your house. Now we're coming, let's go to the other halacha. That what? In the first carbon Pesach, no one was allowed to leave their home until the morning. Ma'ashen came Pesach doirois, the future carbon Pesach. Uh, everybody, you know, you don't have, you didn't have to, um, there was no restriction on staying in one house, in one house. Okay. But then it actually says something else. Hear this. Pesach Mitzrayim, Mokem Achila Sham Hoisalina. The Pesach Mitzrayim, the place where you shechted, sorry, the place where you ate it, you had to actually lodge that night because you couldn't leave the house. So you had to lodge and stay overnight in their place. Pesach doirois, the future uh, Pesach, you can eat it in one person's house, and you can go home to sleep in your own place. You can sleep and lodge in another place. So we see over here, seems to be the same thing. Since you're now allowed to leave, of course you have to lodge there. But from the Bryce, it seems to be more more of a concept, a stronger idea. And what is that? The idea of lodging is actually a halacha that has to do with Yerushalayim. When a Jew, when a Jew brought a karban, a sacrifice, in the time when the Beis Amigdash stood, and he brought his sacrifice to Jerusalem, to Yerushalayim, the Jew was obligated to stay and lodge in Jerusalem. You were not allowed to bring a sacrifice and go immediately and catch a five o'clock flight back or a three o'clock in the afternoon flight. You came at nine o'clock in the morning to the base. I mean, you did your sacrifice, catch a, you know, back in Ben Gurion Airport and you're flying out. Can't do that. 
you had to stay the night in Jerusalem, in the, within the walls of the old city. Which means within the walls, within the walled area of the holiness of Yerushalayim, you had to stay there overnight. And that has to do with something called Kedushas Hamakom, the sanctity of the place. Here it is saying that in the future, in the Pesach Doros, in the future, in the, all the generational carbon Pesach, every Jew had to stay in Jerusalem, yeah, because that's a general rule by a carbon, but you don't have to stay in a specific house. But by Pesach Mitzrayim, you had to lodge in the house. Ah, that seems more than just the idea that you can't go outside because there is devastating angels that are killing everybody and you're gonna get caught in the in the in the in the in the in the live ammunition. You're gonna be caught in the crossfire that's going on, the spiritual crossfire. They're shooting out there and you don't want to take a bullet. That's what it seems simply. Why? Why, did, why were Jews told, You're not allowed to go to the house. So Rashi says, Because there is a mashchis. The, the verse says, The mashchis cannot go into your house. There is destructive angels. There are forces, demonic forces that are roaming the streets. And therefore, Hashem doesn't want anybody to get hurt. So he tells them, stay indoors. That would be the simple reason how we would understand why we were told to stay indoors. But here, there seems to be more than that. When the Brisa is telling us two differences regarding the first carbon Pesach and the future carbon Pesach. The first carbon Pesach, you have to stay indoors. You weren't allowed to go out. And also that you had to have lino, you had to lodge in the very place, same place. It seems to imply, and this is the Chiddush of the Rebbe, which is phenomenal, that it was not just because of a dangerous force that can harm you, but that it was a halacha in the Korban Pesach. It's a, it's a halacha, in other words, it's part of the laws of the, of, of the special Korban Pesach, not the future Korban Pesach, but regarding the first Korban Pesach that we had in Mitzrayim, it had a special halacha. What was the halacha? The halacha is as follows, and here this is Gavaldic, that your home is considered the Makoim Hamizbeach. Your house becomes the place of the altar. Every Jewish home was sanctified, has a halacha, has a, 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 a now a, 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 is considered halachically to be the, a, having kedushas, having the sanctity and the holiness of, of, of a Beis Hamikdash to the degree that the place where you're offering your animal is considered, we'll soon see even to further to prove this, the place of the Mizbeach. And therefore, there is, a special, there is a special obligation that you have to lodge in that holiness. Just like we find later that when Yerushalayim is considered a holy place, Jews have an obligation after you bring a carbon to lodge in Jerusalem overnight. <coughs> Maybe so you should absorb that holiness. <laughs> it should go into you because there's holiness in the place. So Pesach Mitzrayim, the obligation to shech the carbon Pesach in your house is because there was an obligation for every person to create that his house should become Kedushas Hamikdash, should become a, a minor Mizbeach, so it's not just, here's the thing. Simply you say, you know, there is no Jerusalem. We're dealing with Las Vegas. We're dealing with 
the lowliest place in the world, we're dealing with Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is called Ervasa Oretz. It's the most antithetical place. So much so that God couldn't speak to Moshe Rabbeinu when Moshe Rabbeinu was in the city. It was so full of the most, of all the abominations. It was so full of all the despicable things. It was full with witchcraft. It was full with idolatry. It was filled with immorality. Mitzrayim had a stench that was just horrible. So, but... Jews need to do the mitzvah. So God is looking away from everything and saying, you know what, just do your karban. So you have a mitzvah, so you have your karban. That's not what happened. A transformation was happening over here. A metamorphosis was taking place. The, the, the homes of the Jewish people became, maybe temporarily, and of course temporarily, but it became a geder, it became a, a geder, meaning a, a, um, the idea, the concept the, it, it received the sanctity of a makhrim amigdash, of a holy place. And for that reason, number one, the mitzvah was you have to shecht it in your house so that that place becomes a makhrim hamizbeach. That's number one. Secondly, <laughs> secondly they, were, they weren't allowed to leave the house, that they should stay within that holiness and that they should lodge in that house. Like the mitzvah is supposed to be when a yid stays, when he comes later to Yerushalayim. Which this is a, a chidush nifla. That in Mitzrayim, all their homes became mizbeachs. We actually find that. Now to say such a big chidush that it's a mizbeach. The Gemara says so in Mesechtes Pesachim. Here's the Gemara. The Gemara says in Daf Tzadik Vav. Um, page 96, Rabbi Yosef learned, there are three altars in, in, the, um, in their homes in Mitzrayim, there were three altars. What were they? The lintel was one altar, and the two mezuzos, the two doorposts, these were, these were the mezbeachs. You're seeing the Gemara is referring to and clearly defining the place where they sprinkled the blood on their homes. In other words, their home became holy and these places replaced the Mizbeach. It was a Mizbeach. It wasn't just, it's, <coughs> for whatever reason, for protection, put the blood over there. This became a Mizbeach, a place of Mizbeach. This is the altar. And there were three altars, one on the top, and the two sides, three altars that every Jew had in his house. Clearly stating that the homes actually became a mezbeach. Now to further even, to, to, to even strengthen this even stronger halachically, let me share with you one more idea. And that is that um, one more thing that is stated, going back to the Tosefta, going back to the Brisa. Another difference that there is between Pesach Mitzrayim between the first carbon Pesach and the future and the generational carbon Pesachs is that, and this is actually stated in the Mishnah, this is not just stated in the Brisa, but it's stated in the Mishnah, but pay attention to the difference between how the Mishnah says it and how the Brisa says it. The Mishnah says, this is on Daf Tzadik Vav, in the same place that I just quoted you, in Mizech Tzpsachim, Ma bein Pesach Mitzrayim le Pesach Torah, what's the difference between the two? Um, number one, that one has to be taken on the 10th day, Viton Hazar Bagudas Ezov, 
The first carbon Pesach, the one in Egypt, they had to sprinkle it with a with a bundle of of uh, of grass, and they had to put it <coughs> on the lintel on the two doors. The future, the generational uh, carbon Pesach, they didn't have to do that. That's what the Mishnah says. So again, it says here they had to sprinkle it. They didn't sprinkle. Now, before I reach to you, what the Tosefta says, let me share Rambam also brings this same idea like it says in the Mishnah, but he changes the word slightly. What does the Rambam say? These are the laws of Karban Pesach. Hilchis in Karbanois, Hilchis Karban Pesach. The last, it's easy to find it, the last halacha in Karban Pesach. This is not in Hilchis Pesach, these are the laws of Karban Pesach. Perek Yud, the last halacha. Rambam says here, this that it says in Egypt, that the carbon Pesach has to be already prepared on the 10th day of the month. That in this that you have to touch the blood to the mashkoif, to the lintel and to the two mezuzahs, that you have to touch the blood, that it requires that, that was only a one-time thing, it doesn't apply to future. That's what Ramam said. Seems to be saying the same thing, but you realize when we learn, we have to learn carefully every word. Every word is precious. Every word is diamonds. Rambam changes the word. Rambam says you need to touch the lintel with the blood. He doesn't say sprinkle it. Hazo'asadam. He says hagoasadam. The blood has to touch the lintel. Now why would the Rambam change? Why wouldn't the Rambam? Rambam is generally very, very Talmudic. Remembers the entire Torah. Remembers every word of the Mishnah. He could have never made such a spectacular piece of work without remembering and having it literally a photographic memory. He had it all in front of his eyes. If he's changing a word, he's changing it on purposely. And that is because, if you take a look in Tesefta, the same Tesefta that I mentioned that mentions all the differences, also brings this and says that the Pesach um, Mitzrayim uh, we are. Oh. Pesach, Mitzrayim, Nemar boy, vihigatem ala mashkov. You should touch the mashkov with the blood. He doesn't say, Pesach, Mitzrayim, you have to sprinkle it. He says, vihigatem, you should touch it. Now, what's the difference between the two? Many Mepharshim ask, the Mepharshim on the Tesefta, usually Tesefta explains the Mishnah. Why is the Tesefta saying the same thing it says in the Mishnah? Here, sprinkle in the Mishnah, it says the same thing. Tesefta is usually adding what is being added over here on the mission? But the answer is Tesefta is adding. So the Rogichover, one of the great geniuses, pre, pre-Holocaust, incredible genius scholars, says an amazing teach, uh, idea. He says the difference between sprinkling and higatem and hagaz as follows. He says there are two ideas in sprinkling, in the mitzvah of putting... Let's say in the mitzvah of putting, um, burning the fats on the mizbeach. From every carbon, there are certain parts that go on the altar and you burn it. So what's the mitzvah? Is the mitzvah the act of putting it on? Or is the mitzvah that it should be there? Follow the technical idea over here. The mitzvah is the act, the doing of it, or the effect that it's sitting, that it's actually on the fire that it's being burned. So he, he says like this, by amorin, by the, by, by the parts of an animal, 
the halacha, the mitzvah is, it should be on the mizbeach. Maybe it's also the mitzvah to put it on, but there's definitely a mitzvah that it should be, the actual burning of it, what, that it should be there is part of the mitzvah. By blood, by all karbanos, he says, there is no mitzvah that blood should be on the mizbeach. The mitzvah is, it should be sprinkled. The, the act of the person is the mitzvah, not the consequence that the blood is, is, is uh, rolling down or spilling down the, 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 the walls of the mizbeach. That's not the mitzvah, it should be there. The mitzvah is the act of it. However, the Rugged Shavis says, by Pesach Mitzrayim, it's different. Here, very clear. By Pesach Mitzrayim, the halacha is different. The blood, now why? By Pesach Mitzrayim, there was no, they didn't burn any parts on the Mizbeach, that they didn't do. There was no mitzvah of Emurim, that the fats of the animal should be burnt. What they did with it, the Gemara talks about it, but <coughs> not for now. But there's the blood. But by, by, by Pesach Mitzrayim, by the first carbon Pesach, the mitzvah was that the blood should actually be on, on, the, on the lintel and on the two doorposts. The mitzvah is the blood should be on it, not just to put it on, but it should actually be on it. Why? Because it's a mizbeach, as we said earlier, and the blood has to be on the mizbeach, even though in the Beis Hamikdash mizbeach it didn't have to, but over here it did have to. Now the rugged shaver explains <coughs> why. He gives in his explanation. We're not going to follow. We're going to see another explanation, but. The Raghachavar's explanation is, and, and by the way, that's why the Rambam is changing. <coughs> the Rambam is saying that from the words of the Mishnah. If the Rambam would just bring you the words of the Mishnah where it says you have to sprinkle it, that would mean the act of the person. The Rambam wants to emphasize that in Pesach Mitzrayim there was a mitzvah for it to be vihigatem. It has to touch it and be on it. Munach, it should be le- it should be on the mizbeah. Like the Tosefta, because the Rambam learns that's what the Tosefta is adding on the Mishnah. That it should be on it. But why? So the Raghat Shavah says, simple. Since the blood was there for protection, the blood had to be there. When the blood stayed there later, all night long, there were blood stains on the, <coughs> on the post and on the top. Maybe it was still a little wet. That was the protection. You'll ask, well, God knows the mitzvah was done. He doesn't have to see it. First of all, the Pasuk says, I will see the blood. That's number one. But here's a, here's a deeper idea. Part of the reason why it protected was because it's a mitzvah. A mitzvah protects while the mitzvah is in action. If the mitzvah would only be putting it on, but there wouldn't be a mitzvah that it should remain there, then it couldn't act similar to a mezuzah. Let's go with the mezuzah. Oh, mezuzah, when are, you, when are you fulfilling the mitzvah mezuzah? Just go when you fix the mezuzah? Or the, the, the fact that you have a mezuzah on your house is a constant mitzvah. And that's its protection. Why does a mitzvah protect? Not because of it has cool God, it has Hashem's names on it. That's not why, because it's a holy object. It's protecting because you're doing a mitzvah. Be'id, the Gemara says, mitzvah be'idna the asik. At the time of the asik bar that you're involved in the mitzvah, it protects. So that's why the Raghat Shav is saying over here, the mitzvah by Pesach was not like usually blood. Usual blood, it's the act of sprinkling. Over here, it's the blood should be on the, on the, on the, on the mizbeach, which over there was the mizbeach, was the lintel and the two doorposts. 
And the reason is because you, in order for the protection to happen. But the Rebbe says, based on what we said before, there is another reason why, why the mitzvah needed the blood should be on it. Because we needed to bring about that the place should be a mizbeach. Now, if, if there would be nothing that is put on the mizbeach, that means there would be not. Go, again, let's go back. By Pesach Mitzrayim, by, Pesach Mitzrayim, by the Egyptian carbon Pesach, they didn't offer the fats. They didn't do that. The only possible thing that you can fulfill the mitzvah of having this sitting on the mizbeach is only with the blood. Now, why is that important? Let's understand why it's important. It's important because as follows. Let's go back for a moment to the private mizbeachs that people would use, backyard mizbeachs. And I said earlier, it's not really backyard because they didn't do it everywhere. But the private bama, does that mean that the bama itself became a holy place? Absolutely not. In the, when you offered a private, a carbon on a private bama, you had no mitzvah to lodge next to the place where you offered it. There is no mechitza, as Chazal say. There's no special holy area of, you know, five meters around is holy. You can eat the carbon over there. There's no halacha of makayim amizbeach. Why? The reason why a bama was permitted, what is a bama? A bama means a private, a private altar. The reason it was permitted was not because we can achieve to make something holy. The reason it was is because the Eberster wants that if a Jew wants to bring a carbon, we want to give people an opportunity to bring a carbon. In other words, it's for the act of the person. You want to come close to God and you want to bring Hashem, make an offering, Hashem allows you to make an offering. But it's not that the place becomes holy. In other words, it's like in, in the words of yeshiva, in yeshiva talk, it's not a halacha in the cheftza, that the place becomes holy. It's a halacha in the gavra, in the person. The person, <coughs> the person, you can bring a carbon, but the object doesn't become holy. But by Pesach Mitzrayim is an exception. It's not like the Bamais. That's, that's the whole Chiddush. That's the whole depth of what we're learning over here. By Pesach Mitzrayim, by the first carbon Pesach, it's not like the Bama. The Bama, like where, where, where you're permitted to bring a carbon. The Jewish people needed, <coughs> needed to bring a carbon, and God gave them permission to bring a carbon. No, that's not what it means. The whole point was that their homes became a mizbeach. And for that reason, if the mitzvah would just be the act of sprinkling, the act of sprinkling is the act of the person. It would not express that the place is holy. That's why the mitzvah had to be differently. Not you're sprinkling the blood, the blood is on a certain place of your home because that part of your home is the altar. Your home is the Beis HaMikdash and that part is the altar. And on the altar is where Karbanais needs to be. You can't put the fats because we're not doing fats tonight for whatever reason. So we're going to do that with the blood. But that's the depth of it. So what we're seeing over here is something phenomenal, phenomenal. That, and that night on, on Pesach, the first night, it was a major, major, unbelievable breakthrough. And that is that every single private home of the Jewish people was then given the opportunity and the Jews had the ability to sanctify it. It became like a mini Beis HaMikdash. 
So much so that the, the part of the house became a Mizbeach. So much so that the, 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 <coughs> the blood that they put on it is considered sitting on an altar on the Mizbeach. And the people sleeping overnight in their house is because they should soak in the holiness of a Beis HaMikdash. Of course, on a mini scale, but still they should soak in the holiness of a Makam HaMikdash. This is incredible. So you now we ask, why? What was the reason that it had to be that way? Why did Hashem make it this way? So here is where it really, here's where it blew me away. And here is where it's Nogeya. Here's where it comes in and it comes full circle to where we're standing here today. But now, hear the depth of this. So the Rebbe says an amazing thing. He says, you should know that at that night in Mitzrayim, we know that, that the Jewish people when they left Egypt was considered the birth of the Jewish people. In Ezekiel and Yecheskel, it describes the Jewish people going out of Mitzrayim like a baby being born. In our case, a nation was born. A godly people was born at that time. At birth, the identity of who you are and what you are and what your life is all about, your mission, is being that this is the beginning before you can even start, you know, before a person can start, you know, messing things up or, or going in the wrong direction. This is just the very, very beginning. The moment your baby opens its eyes, the moment the baby comes out, Obviously, we don't know what the mission and what the purpose of, the, of each individual human being is because we have very little information. But from God's perspective, from the way it is from above, the moment the child is born, it's highlighted and it's expressed and it is shining very brightly. The role that this individual human being is going to play in the universe, what's their role? The moment the Jewish people was, were born, the, the, the purpose, the ultimate mission and the accomplishments of what this nation needs to, what we're here, what we are all about, was, was fully expressed. Even though <coughs> afterwards, we went into development stage until we would develop it, but at that first moment, it was shining like a shining star. It was very bright. What are the Jewish people all about? What do we need to accomplish? The Jewish peoples, we know that the purpose, the Jewish people have to realize the purpose of creation. The purpose of creation is as it's stated in the Midrash, and Tanya builds his entire second half of the, chat of the book on this idea. And this becomes the cornerstone of all of Hasidus. And that is that the Sava HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that the Eibishter had a taiva, that God had a desire, God wants to have a home in this world. Hashem wants to openly manifest and reveal Himself in this world. We're in this world everywhere. And why does he want, want this world? Because this world is the most obscuring, and this world is the darkest world, and this world is the one that's blocking the most, the Shekhinah's presence, and that's what the Eberster wants. The darkest and lowest, most obnoxious existence should be refined and elevated and purified till it becomes the most receptive and the most expressive of God. That's the purpose. Where was it achieved? It was achieved. Finally, after we went out of Egypt, we received the Torah and we achieved it. When we built a Beis HaMikdash. Initially we built a mobile home. A mobile home. And eventually it turned into a Beis HaMikdash. When we have the Beis HaMikdash, physical earth hosts God. In the Holy of Holies, God was fully revealed. Higher even than His revelation in the highest places above. He was revealed down here. It's unbelievable. Yeah, but that was the accomplishment. 
So we think that's it. But it's not true. When the Pasuk says, Make for me a base of Migdash, and I will dwell, the Pasuk, we read carefully the next word, it says, I will dwell amongst them. Grammatically, it should have said, Make for me a base of Migdash, and I will dwell in that, what you made, in that object, in that home. You made me a sanctuary, I will dwell in the sanctuary. The Pasuk, <coughs> the verse, diverges and says, make me a base of and I'll dwell amongst them. And the sages explain that when it says it does it means not only in the Mishkan or in the in the sanctuary, but that the Abershta wants to dwell inside the heart of every single person individually, in your own heart, in your space, in your consciousness, where you are, that's what the Abershta wants to dwell. So now most people understand this. As, uh, it's nice. You know? It's like, okay, we don't have the big base on Migdash. We don't have the Mishkan. So we need to comfort people. Say, oh, you know what? You, can, you too can become a sanctuary. You too can become a place for God. But it's, <coughs> it's a secondary pirush. It's not the real reason. The main thing is God is going to dwell in the base on Migdash. But the Rebbe says no. From this that the Pasuk changes the word from B'Seichai in it. And it says B'Seicham clearly is a sign that even though, yeah, this is considered not the only explanation, a second pirush, but it's a very, very, very primary pirush. It's very essential. And without this, the whole fulfillment of creation is not realized. In other words, even when we have a Beis HaMingdash in Jerusalem, even when we have the holies of holies fully set, and you have the full Ashras Ashkin, and not like it was in the second temple, not like it was in the first temple, where you have the tablets, the luchos, and you have the Urim and you have the prophecy, you have everything, crazy holy. Yet, it's not fulfilling for God to the ultimate. And the reason is, hear what he says. He says it over here. I haven't seen it explicitly stated so strongly like in this place. Phenomenal. He says the reason is because the Eberster wants to have a dira, a home, him in the lowest. The Beis Hamikdash, we said earlier, what's the Beis Hamikdash? Why was the Beis Hamikdash chosen? Because it is the most worthy place. That means within the lowest world. Yes, it qualifies to be a home in the lowest world because it's still within the physical dynamics. We're not building a temple for God in the metaphysical. We're building a temple for God in the physical world. The, the, the materials of the Beis Hamikdash were stone. They were from the literal substances of the world. Yes, so it qualifies. But the fact that it's a holy place and it's a unique place and in this place Abraham walked, Avram walked there and Noah and Adam and all the qualities which those qualities are not in the rest of the world and that's why most of the universe, most of the physical, physical planet is not in Jerusalem at that address. It's spread, the world is the world and all those places <coughs> are not worthy and if so God doesn't dwell over there. That's why we know that the ultimate dwelling in the Beis Amigdash is not that Hashem should dwell in the Beis Amigdash, but that the light from the Beis Amigdash should be diffused and spread out. And there are certain Wi-Fi towers that capture that light from the dwelling of the Shekhinah and there become small little dwellings for the Shekhinah. Yes, it's not as powerful as the collective dwelling of the Shekhinah that's in the Mokam Amigdash that's over there, but 
it is the most vital and the most important that it becomes small little fires everywhere where there is a Jewish person in his heart and in his home should become a Beis HaMikdash. And from his heart and from his home, it becomes the Shekhinah dwells in the sum totality of the entire globe of the entire world. Why? So the Rebbe brings an amazing thing. It says in Tanya, and this is in Perek Lamed Zayin, chapter 37, based on the holy Arizal, on the teaching of the Ari, it says in Tanya that the Jewish <coughs> souls are the 600,000 souls, root souls, and then we splinter each soul, divides, these are the 600,000 souls that were in Egypt. These 600,000 souls splinter into each one of the 600,000. Each one of them comes down into another soul. The other soul is a secular soul, an unholy soul, a very mundane soul. And that's from the klipa. And our holy soul has to purify and elevate and transform the darkness of our regular animalistic soul. And he says an amazing thing. He says every single one of our animal souls, of a Jewish man or woman, is a root soul in which the energy of a 600,000 of the energy of the universe, of the sum totality of existence of the universe, is plugged into every single one of us. When a Jew purifies his dark soul and fills it through the doing of mitzvahs and makes it holy, a 600,000th section of the universe is purified. Now, remember, the 600,000 is divided in 600,000. So throughout history, all the souls came down and each one did its work and a certain part of the world became ready for the dwelling of God. And when it's completed, it says in Tanya, that's when Mashiach comes. That's when God's light fills the entire universe. You see? So therefore, when every single person in his own <coughs> soul and in his own private house, it becomes a mishkan, it becomes, a, it becomes holy, a, a dwelling for a place, that's, an, that's the sum total, the purpose of all of existence. So the Rebbe says, therefore the moment we went out of Mitzrayim, it needed to be reflected because, because we were being born then. It needed to be shown, it needed to be visible, it needed to be tangible, that that's what we're all about, that we will take the entire world and make it holy, make the world into a dwelling place. Not it's unholy, we're doing something holy there. No, the place itself is transformed so magically. The darkest place in the world, Egypt, the dark, would you lived in the middle of some alleyway somewhere in some basement? Suddenly over there, that became, at least for that night, it became the Beis Amigdash. And so these, these Shechina dwelled and that took an effect everywhere in every private residence. This is what the Rebbe says regarding then. And then he says, later, we, once we created a central station, then you weren't allowed to anymore offer private karbanis. So now, <coughs> comes out, let's go fast forward, 5780. 5780, we've been through the entire globe. The Jewish people have been sent throughout the four corners of the earth. We've purified the world, we've elevated the world, we've done Torah mitzvahs across the globe, and we're reaching the night of the redemption that we've had back then. We're coming back to the redemption. And God now says as follows. Now that the whole work has been completed, we're done, we're finished. The whole world, the whole world has been made holy. The world has already been transformed. 
The world has been already completely metamorphosed. Everything is now. We're ready for the apishter, for God to completely manifest his infinite light down here in the physical universe and to complete, to wrap it all up. So it comes Pesach by night. And the Eberster says, I will not allow anymore you to have shuls. You're not going to make, you're going to go, first of all, you're going to go into your own house for the last three Shabbosim. You're davening the Yechidus. You're lacking the collectiveness. But I want your own home to become a holy place. You're going to daven Shachris every day in your house. So your private residence becomes a place of holiness and godliness. You're proud. You're going to learn Torah, not in shul, in your own house. But even more than everything, the very same night that I made every house in Egypt become a Mizbeach, every single Jewish home is going to become the Mishkan, the Beis Amigdash. Because this is the purpose of all of creation, that every individual person fill his space. It's not about the collective. It's about the individual. So no more, oh, the holiness, oh, we need, I, I, I'm not so holy, but my father-in-law, my, 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 my parents, oh, my grandfather, we're going to him for the Seder. No, 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 no. You're going to do it alone. You and your wife. And if you don't have a wife, yourself. Yes, you as a single individual. And you're, and, and you're, you're feeling whatever alone. You're not feeling, but you know what? You're worthy that I should come and dwell in you and your apartment and your little house or big house or whatever it is is the Beis HaMikdash itself, where God Himself is dwelling. <coughs> and through you, holiness is filling every nook and cranny of existence. I have zero doubt that that's the meaning of this, that we're telling everybody, you cannot get together. No communal satyrs. The holiness is not in the community. Community, the holiness is not by the rabbi, by that person. It's in every person individual, because the work has been completed. And now the entire world is going to light up in two nights from now. All of existence will radiate with Hashem's light. Job completed. We have done it. And I think now it will make so much sense what the Balaturim is saying, comparing the four places. In Egypt, it says, you will eat it. Aaron and his sons were making the Beis Hamikdash holy, the Mishkan. Shivas Yemei What does Meluya mean? Meluya means you were, we were doing special sacrifices to make that place, to fill it. Meluya means to fill it, to fill it with holiness. So we're saying, just like the place of the Mishkan, which was filled with holiness, you weren't allowed to leave that place because you had to soak the place with holiness because it, was, it wasn't just you're doing something good. The place itself was being transformed to a, the first place. Aaron and his sons were creating that first sanctuary for God. So it's saying that in Mitzrayim, it was also the same thing. That you're not allowed to leave your house because you have to sleep in the holy place. You have to absorb it because it's similar to Aaron not being allowed to go out. And the same is also the Ma'asvav Yochaluhu. It's talking about your, the produce when Mashiach will come. That means that throughout the eggs, throughout earlier times, you were able to toil and do a lot of work. <coughs> Others would come and take it away. Why? Because there was no stability in your actions. Because there was no dwelling of the permanent one, of God in your actions. So you can toil, you can effort, you can do. When Mashiach will come, ki, same word, of those who gather it in, and maybe we can say it a little deeper, it's not just a physical produce. We will, those who have gathered in the last generation, 
those who have gathered in and reaped the rewards of all the generations, of all the work of Torah and Mitzvah. That's why it says, Sukkot is called Chag Asaf because we're gathering in all the godliness of the whole year. This is Ma'asfaf, those that are gathering together the work of the sixth millennia. Those that are pulling together the three and a half thousand years of mitzvahs, of Torah and mitzvahs, they're the ones gathering in. Yochaluhu, they will eat it and no one can steal it from us. It's permanently ours because the Shekhinah is dwelling. And that's why over here as well, Atem Loiseitsu, do not leave your house. Stay put where you are, the Eberster says. I want my holiness and my godliness spreading out through every place possible. I, I don't want these collective huge hotel sadarim. I want individual seders, as many as can be, because my entire world is fully enveloped in my truth and the full expression of, of, of the Shra Sashchina, where the entire world becomes the Beis HaMikdash, the sum totality of all of our work. And that is the magic, and that is the beauty, and that is the awesomeness of the the Seder 5780. I hope and I pray that we should have fulfilled this just with speaking about the beautiful idea because by the time <coughs> comes Pesach, as I mentioned earlier, we should already be in the Beis Amigdash celebrating all together in the third Beis Amigdash. May it be now, now, 